0: Hi there, Grace Point. Is this working? Is this on? Testing? Testing? Oh, excellent. I love that. Hey there, Grace Point. Uh, My name is Andrew, one of the church family here, uh, and it's my joy and privilege to open God's Word this morning. Uh, I want to echo Eugene's welcome earlier this morning. Whether you've been at church here for the last 20 years or whether today is your very first day, it's so lovely having you. Welcome. We'd love to get to know you. We're continuing our series through the book of Romans and each week we hear sections of it in order and we consider what does, it mean, what does it mean about who God is and what does it say about how we are to live in light of who the God of the Bible claims he is. And so far in Romans we've heard that there is good news. In fact, life-changing, momentous good news. There is an announcement that goes throughout the world. Jesus is king, and he's a king who is good, who stands for peace, justice, righteousness, who has even defeated death itself. That king invites us to belong to him, To trust not in what you or others do to save yourself, but to trust solely in Him. Your salvation is far too heavy a burden to carry. The good news is, He has come and has borne your burden. Find love, peace, salvation in King Jesus alone. Life-changing, momentous, good news. In our passage today, we're considering... What should we expect the good news, the gospel, to do, not just for me individually, but in us, communally? We're often interested in value propositions for me. What do I get out of this? Is the cost I pay worth it for the return that I'm getting? And our world doesn't do us any favors here, does it? It conditions us how to think in this way. Marketing sells to you as an individual, because you're worth it. The world we live in shouts it, or even sometimes sings it. Because I want it that way. Hey, you know how it goes, right? I'm definitely never doing that again in a sermon. But the air that we breathe in this culture, the world we live in, is about who? Me. And often we come to church, to Jesus, asking the same question. What do I get out of this? But God's word today in Romans helps us consider something different to that, something better than that. When it comes to our church relationships, what should we expect the gospel to do? Not for me, but for us. First bit, what does the gospel do amongst us? That's the first section. Second bit, what is it for? It's there on your outlines, your bulletins, on your phone or on paper. Keep it open. Keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1, 8 to 15. That will help you to follow along. We so deeply need God's help, so let's ask him for help together. Please pray with me. Father God, who we are not, please make us. What we have not, please give us. Who we are not, please make us. Shape us now as we listen to you from your word. Would it shape not just our minds and ideas, but would it shape our hearts, our affections, our desires? We pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. What does the gospel do amongst us? Well, First and foremostly, we're reading a letter uh, between Paul and the church in Rome, a church that Paul did not start. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, you hate to see it. Oh, that's okay. We don't need the PowerPoint. It's all going to work out smoothly and okay. First and foremost, we're reading a letter between Paul. Oh, here we go. All the way back, all the way back, run it back, run it back. Oh, keep it going, keep it going. I pressed too many buttons. Oh, here we go, here we go. Boom. (laughs) Between Paul and the church in Rome. It's a church that Paul didn't start himself. And in fact, when Paul writes this letter to them, he hasn't even met them yet. And it's in their relationship between Paul and the church in Rome that we get insights into our relationships with each other as Christians. And we heard last week the Roman church has been called to be his holy people, to belong to Jesus. And good news, they have responded, verse 8, with faith. Faith meaning trust and belief in Jesus' saving work for us. Faith that knows because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are safe. And what's more, their faith is being reported all over the world. Their faith is not just deeply trusting in Jesus, but it's also becoming widely noticed. It's only normal that when a group of people turn to trust Jesus, heads begin to turn. Particularly for these Christians. Where are they? They're in the capital of the world of that time, Rome. Do you know the saying? All roads lead to Rome. Well. Back then, Rome was the center of the empire. And obviously, if you're at the center, you build every road out from Rome from there so the world can come and see. And the world does come and does see a church's faith. A faith that wasn't in Rome's king, the emperor, but a faith that was in the king, Jesus their counter-cultural faith that was declared and preached from the center of that world gone out. And Paul, as he writes this, he's getting G'd up by this. He's getting excited by this. That's how he starts his letter. He starts his letter with thanksgiving, for their faith. And he's getting excited about it because it's exactly what Paul is on about as well. And in the very next verse, we see that. Paul serves the same God. As them. Just as their faith is going out and being heard, Paul too is preaching that too. His message of the gospel of his son, of Jesus, is going out too. They're on about the same mission. And so see, even though Paul and the church in Rome have not yet met, they are on the same team, same vision, to proclaim and declare the good news of Jesus. Whether here whether there, they are in gospel partnership. What does the gospel do amongst them? It unites them in the same mission, the same goal in life. When you hear about the good news of Jesus, when you hear about good news, it's time to celebrate that. It's something to party about, getting a little jiggy with, you know? There is good news, and what do you do with good news? You tell everyone you know and love. In the gospel of Jesus, there is something worth announcing. Life transforming, world shaping, something far too good to keep to yourself. Paul and the church in Rome get that, and so they are in gospel partnership with each other. And you and I, we too, are invited into that same gospel partnership this morning. To have the same mission, the same vision, the same focus, the same goal. Gospel partnership. And that partnership in the gospel shapes Paul's commitments to them, shapes their relationship with each other itself. Paul tells them that when he prays, he constantly remembers them. He constantly prays for the church in Rome. In particular, one thing that Paul wants to pray for, he prays to God for, is that he might finally be able to meet them in person. And Paul gets that it's only by God's will whether his Uber driver will get them there or not. But Paul wants to see them in person because he really wants to give them something. He wants to give them a certain spiritual gift to make them strong. And before we even begin to wonder what that spiritual gift is, Paul tells us in the very next section that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And this is really striking because it tells us something about the nature of encouragement. He desires that they are both mutually encouraged by the other's faith. Paul wrote a third of the New Testaments. He was an apostle of Christ himself. He wants to go all the way to Spain, stopping by Rome to tell more people the gospel. Paul is a huge, towering spiritual figure. But Paul thinks it's essential. In fact, he longs for this, To come and to be mutually encouraged. Gospel partnership is partnership. One of the great beauties of gospel partnership is that they, Paul and the Roman church, so deeply need each other. We so deeply need each other too. One of the things that the gospel begins to bring in the life of a Christian is a felt need for other Christians. The felt need to be encouraged by someone else's faith. The felt need to encourage someone else's faith. To remind each other of the vision and mission that we're on about. Because it's so easy to lose focus of that. To hold each other up in prayer. Because we are more dependent on God than we know or feel. To speak words of life to each other. Because we live constantly hearing the whispers of death from our world and Satan. We need each other. You need each other. And others need you. Some of you feel like you don't need others. That's definitely how I often can feel. But take heed of Paul's leading here, the great apostle to the Gentiles, the one who was literally speaking to Jesus. If he needs and longs for and wants mutual encouragement from someone else, so too do you and I. Each person who trusts in Jesus has God's own Spirit within them, and He has given them gifts to bless you and His church. It would be such a posture of arrogance to think that we had all we needed in ourselves. What would it look like to seek to get uh, to seek to get that from others here to be mutually encouraged? Yeah, even those you might look around and think, they're less mature than me. God's Word's telling us they have great wonders to bless you with. Jesus is keen to use them to encourage you. He has given them gifts that you do not have and will never have. And that's a good thing. You need them. What a countercultural, attractive, and humble community church is. Imagine that here at Grace Point's. Each person wanting to learn and be encouraged by each other, recognizing all people's gifts, not just those that society prizes. That's one group. But another group of people here might instead feel something different. Man, I don't have anything to offer. What could I offer of encouragement to say to Eugene or to an elder here? To be honest, I'm barely making it along in my faith. It's been a rough patch. But Paul, Eugene, elders, leaders here, humans, all the good that they have is from God, not themselves. If you trust in Jesus, that is a supernatural gift from the Spirit. And so, you have so much to offer because of who God has made you to be and how God has called you to himself. And even if you're in a season of struggle, that's an opportunity to actually model faith of trusting beyond yourself and trusting in Him. And to see someone doing that, for me, I would be so encouraged. I need that. We need that. Mutual encouragement. God has given you so much, even if you don't believe it, even if you don't see it, And even if you don't feel it, even just reaching out to someone else to encourage them with your faith, surely that's a scary act of wonderful faith. And it really is not so much how much faith you have, but who your faith is in. Because a large amount of faith placed in the wrong thing topples over. A small amount of faith in the most sturdy place, it's a game changer. Gospel partnership looks like mutual encouragements. You need the encouragement from others' faith, and they need encouragement from your faith. And can I say, I've only been at Grace Point here, I think, one month now, but I've noticed that we as a church are in quite a large transition, aren't we? The evening service has mixed with the morning service, and there are people here you may know from before, and perhaps many that you do not. And I think I've seen and heard people struggling with that, which is completely reasonable. Change is genuinely hard and difficult. But I've been really encouraged by seeing that struggle, the struggle of talking to people of different generations. Oh, how do I interact with Zoomers, Gen Z? I just don't get it. I I don't get their lingo. I just find it really difficult. Oh. How do I interact with boomers? They're just so cringe. They don't get me. How do I interact with people with kids? Their kids are always crying. Our life stages are just so different. It just doesn't Can I say, that encourages me. And I hope that encourages you too. It's one of the most wonderful displays of unity in the world. Where we relate to each other, not based on what the other person offers me, but upon what I can give to this person. How can I encourage the other, even if they are completely, wildly, and utterly different to me? I think church is the only place in the world that really relates on the basis of grace, not works. When Jesus has done all that you need, and he's given it to you free of charge, you can give to others freely, because you don't need to find your value, your worth, your love, your salvation in those people. You've already found that in Jesus, and so you can be the fountain overflowing, pouring out into their lives. The struggle of relating to new people and different people is good. Struggling to understand each other and love each other, that's hard. But that struggle shows your commitment to give freely, not relating by works, but by grace, seeking to bless the other, not just yourself. Look to your left, look to your right, you need them. Look to your left, look to your right, yes, even that person over there, oh gosh, they need you too. Welcome to church. But there's also one more thing to mention here, that we learn here about the nature of encouragement. I'll do this quickly. It's in the same verse, sorry. But there's just so much gold worth mining here. The other thing is that Paul is so keen to see them in person, which tells us something that I think we're already familiar with. There is something about being physically present that cannot be replaced by a phone call, a text message, or an almost 10,000-word written letter by hand in the book of Romans. We've all, we all still remember COVID, so we get this, I think. But let me just say it again. Your physical presence matters. Other physical presence matters. Paul is insisting that he must come. He even says that, ooh, I, that's not the right slide at all. That doesn't matter. Paul insists that he must come. He even says that he's tried to come multiple times before. There is something about physical presence that cannot be replaced. To hear each other's voices, not just through a speaker singing at church. To look around and see people serve and love each other. To be made a sick V60 by the coffee cart team, represent, appreciate you guys. Absolutely irreplaceable in mutual encouragements. Not the coffee, I mean people's coffee. anyway. Be at church, physically. Be on time or earlier if you can, committed to others. Maybe consider stay at church for lunch if you can. Commit to a community group if you can. The gospel changes us to be a people committed to one another. People fixated on using their gifts to serve and encourage each other. These are just starting points to consider. I know we all have different life stages and capacities, different things we need to be faithful to. That is completely reasonable. There is no judgment or guilt-tripping here. But let me just encourage you, physically meeting for church and fellowship is so crucial. You need it, and others need it too. What does the gospel do amongst us? It creates gospel partnership. People on about the same mission and vision people seeking mutual encouragement in each other's faith from every single person, people self-sacrificially committed to each other. The second section is called, What Does the Gospel Do For Whom? Which now that I read it, doesn't really make any sense. I just thought it would sound cool, but it doesn't really. And so the question I really want to ask is, who is the gospel for? That's the question I really want to ask. Look, it was was a hard week, okay? Uh, And the answer is kind of easy to this question, isn't it? Who's the gospel for? It's, It's pretty easy. It's not that hard to answer. The gospel is for everyone, for all people. That's easy to answer, isn't it? But while it's easy to say that the gospel is for everyone, it's much harder to functionally live it out. It's easy to say that the gospel is for everyone, it's much harder to actually show that in your life. And the distinction between what we say, what we think, and what we do and how we live, that distance between the head and the heart, you might say, is the longest 15-centimeter journey. Paul says in verse 14, I am obligated. Both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. And actually, in other translations, it's actually more like Greeks and, not non-Greeks, Greeks and barbarians. Paul is not pulling his punches here. Paul is saying when it comes to the gospel, it is for everyone. Like, he doesn't just mean everyone like a fluffy, nice concept. Everyone's like, yeah, but he means literally everyone, every single person out there. Gospel of Jesus, yep. For them, But why does Paul mention this here at this point? Why does this matter so much to Paul to write it in here in his letter? And it matters so much to Paul because of who Paul is writing to. The church in Rome are full of people from completely different backgrounds. First, he targets their cultural and class backgrounds. Remember the phrase, Greeks and barbarians? Well, in old Greek literature, we see that distinction used by Greeks of other people. Oh, other people. They're uncultured, non-Greek-speaking barbarians. Ugh. Who's in the Church of Rome? Greeks. Who else is there? The other guys. And it'll be pretty normal for those Greeks to call other people that, barbarians, to see them as an inferior culture. Another distinction that Paul makes, wise and foolish. You can imagine the aristocratic, well-trained, academically taught people coming to church in Rome, probably in their wealthy houses, nice clothes, sneering and looking down on others. Uh, Peasants, slaves, lack of minds, Lack of worth. Or in verse 16, Jews and Gentiles. Jews, the Old Testament people of God in the Bible. Gentiles, everyone not a Jew. The people that Jews really shouldn't get too close with. The church in Rome was a massively mixed bunch. And for sure, that must have caused some tension for the church in Rome. But who's Paul obligated to? Each one of these groups they use. Greeks, barbarians, wise, fools, Jews, Gentiles. You list your category, you list your disposition, you list your preference. Gospel of Jesus, yep. It's for them. Rome, at that time, hearing a sentence like this They would have been utterly appalled. What absolute nonsense! What foolishness! How shameful for a group of people to believe this. And that begins to start making more sense for you and I of why the church in Rome was beginning to stick out like a sore thumb that we heard about earlier. Why their faith was reported all over the world. And I think you and I need to be sympathetic to the church in Rome here. Uh, it would not have been easy for this church to begin throwing the cultural and religious values you grew up with out the window. The values that your parents taught you for years. The way that society raised you. It wouldn't have been easy to throw those values away when you hear about Jesus, turn to Him, and become a Christian. Imagine. My mom told me not to interact with slaves. That's not befitting of my class. I grew up hearing from rabbis about purity and cleansing, what food to eat, what food not to eat. That guy over there at church, gosh, you know what he does? He's a pig farmer. It makes me shudder. Greeks have always done a sin. They've never trusted us. They've always sneered down upon us. That is, if they even dare to look at us, I'm just a barbarian in their eyes. Maybe some of the things you might have heard in that day. But imagine the shock on their faces when they come to Jesus, they go to church, and they hear things like this. You are loved by God together. You are His holy people together. Even more, you are family brothers and sisters, together. Every single one of you, together. Gosh, that would have been hard. And Paul gets that. It's why he mentions it here, and he continues on in verse 15. Obligated to Greeks, barbarians, wise fools, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you. Who are in Rome? Greeks, barbarians, wise, fools, Jews, Gentiles, needs of the gospel, needs of the gospel, needs of the gospel. I'm keen to come. It's a beautiful picture of a countercultural, upside-down, culture-shaking, class-breaking church. It's a beautiful picture. Where the world divides, the gospel unites around the great King Jesus, uniting not based on anything inside me individually, but uniting based on good news that is external to all of us, God himself. And that's what the church is meant to show and display in their unity. But anyone who's gone to church long enough, well, you know what it's like at church sometimes we're often not much different from others, and that's to our shame. But the Gospel of Jesus invites us this morning to something better, to something more wonderful. A church that is made up of diverse, broken people, regardless of mental capacity, regardless of class, wealth, skin color, gender, occupation, age, or stage, every single person Needs the gospel, needs the gospel, needs the gospel, needs the gospel. Jesus loves them. Jesus calls them. Jesus wants them. Who's the gospel for? It's everyone. But once again, the journey from the head to the heart, longest 15 centimeters. I suspect... Just as much as the church in Rome was challenged by this, so too are you and I this morning. My guess is that we we probably don't fall so easily into rampant racism or outright segregation, but it can be easier to gravitate towards certain people away from others. We can pick and choose sometimes between those who offer me much make me feel good, maybe make me laugh, and those who, well, takes a lot out of me. I'm not talking about if you're an introvert, that's cool, but we can pick and we can choose between people based on what they're like. Those we sit next to at church or at lunch, man, that person over there, gosh, they're just way too awkward for me. Or that person over there, whew, way too many problems, I can't deal with that but that person over there, dang, they funny. Let me go over there. No. The gospel is for all. Got to keep doing this journey. And can I say for you too, those who feel out of place here, maybe even right now as I'm speaking, those who feel like it is not easy to be at church, it is not easy to be at a community group, you're not sure if people here even like you maybe or you might feel that you have nothing to offer here no the gospel is for you too this morning and so we welcome you we love that you're here even if we don't always show that very well to you and it's not just within the church that it can be a difficulty what about those outside the church on the streets over there the ones that we want to have inside the church for i am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god that brings salvation to everyone who believes everyone for each person walking down burwood road for them for each family member or friends yes even the annoying ones for them for each person in prison murderers, rapists, for people who can't conform to social norms, prostitutes, hypocrites, politicians, homeless, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, bipolar, kleptomaniacs, presidents, CEOs, professors, principals, quadriplegic, scar, war-torn veterans, hospital-bound patients. Every single person you know in your life, the list goes on. Who's the gospel for? It's for them. What if that homeless person walked in and sat right next to you at church? What would it look like to Welcome the schizophrenic into your weekly community group. The recovering drug addicts coming to hear about Jesus. The gospel is not limited by those who have their lives together. The gospel is for the broken. And that is what you and I are. Broken. The gospel, it's the great leveler. For before God, we are all in need, all in need of help, all broken, all helpless. Some might look more obvious, they're in need of help. Others, probably like us, far better at masking it. The good news of Jesus is for them all. For broken sinners like you and me, we are to welcome them with open arms, just as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ opened his arms as he was nailed on a cross, as he lived, suffered, died, and rose again, so that the good news of Jesus, the momentous, life-changing, world-shaping, world-shaking news would not be for just the few, but for all. Not a fluffy concept of everyone, but literally each individual in every circumstance, every age, stage, class, tribe, background that you can imagine, it's for them. Seen by God, known by God, loved by God, invited in by God to join the family, even the family right here. The gospel invites you and I into this work, to be part of this work, to show them the countercultural ushering in of all people gathered around Jesus, to show it not just with our words, but in our lives. And I think one of the scariest things is I think we all knew the answer to this question that I asked earlier, who is the gospel for? But even if we might get our intellectual categories correct, what we say we believe, we can show that we completely actually don't believe it at all by the way that we live. We might theoretically believe it, but functionally deny it. The good news of Jesus invites us into something so much better. Friends, we started by asking the question, what does the gospel do amongst us, and who's it for? The gospel, it's the life-changing, earth-shaking, momentous news for all. It's not just about me. It shapes our community, our very relationships, from the way that we treat each other, to who is there right next to me, to those that we invite in or choose not to invite in. The gospel is the great leveler, showing us how before God we are all so deeply in need. And so the gospel gathers us around Jesus to show who he is, not just with our words, but with our lives. Let's ask God for his help. Please pray with me. Father God, we so deeply need your help, and so we ask for it we ask that you might strike within us a beautiful, large, wonderful picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that we would be completely captivated by him, that we would be captivated in absolute shock and scandal, the idea that God himself would come to know us, love us, and make us his children. We pray that that realization, that picture of Jesus' welcome might shape our gathering. Please make us a place where every, every person of every stage and age, every class and tribe, that we might be warm, genuine, welcoming, loving, not just on our lips, but pouring out from us, shocking all those around us in amazement of the love that we have found in Jesus, of the faith that we have, lived out. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.